Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so happy to have Carlin Neek on the Arthritis Life podcast today. Welcome, Carlin. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Yay. Can you tell the audience just a little about yourself, your work, and and how you discovered acceptance and commitment therapy? You bet. So I'm an occupational therapist in Canada. I live in Western Canada in Calgary, and I've had a mental health private practice for a long time. Um, and a lot of my clients were coming to me um, from a third-party payer, uh, an insurance company who was supporting them in their medical leave from work, sort of replacing, replacing income. And um, they would often leave them for a year to work through sort of with their doctor and maybe their own psychologist. And then if they were kind of stuck, then they would send them to me to help them get back to meaningful activities so that um, so that, that, yeah, they're feeling more empowered and return to work comes more easily when you're feeling like you're able to do the other things in your life too. And so technically as return to work preparation, but it was return to life really the way I looked at it. And um, I, I was 
now I do a lot of coaching with OTs using acceptance and commitment therapy, but back to, to that work, um, I discovered ACT because in doing this work, a lot of my, my job was to set goals with people, help them gradually increase, manage the obstacles. Sometimes there were chronic conditions, sometimes very, almost always it was depression and anxiety, but often it was related to an illness or pain or something like that. Um, and when I would be working with people to move toward those meaningful activities or occupations, as we OTs like to call them, um, the tools that we had for the thought obstacles were um, CBT, right? Like traditional CBT. So let's try and reframe that. Let's try and think of a more positive way to look at that. And, and, and was, CBT, sorry, just real quick. CBT yeah. stands for cognitive behavior cognitive therapy. Behavioral yeah. therapy. Yeah. And ACT technically is in that kind of umbrella of cognitive behavioral therapies, except I like it better for this exact reason. So when somebody's saying, you know what, I'm afraid to do that thing. Cause what if I have a pain flare up? What if I have an anxiety attack? What if, um, you know, I move an inch and then the insurance company says, well, great, you're ready to return to work. And those are really valid thoughts. And for me to say, oh, well, let's reframe that. Um, sometimes that was useful and other times, or let's kind of come up with a more positive version. Well, I, I felt like I was invalidating them because wow, if you're living with a lot of pain or trauma or fear or anxiety, it's, it's super invalidating for someone to tell you to just, you know, and it wasn't just think positive CBT's deeper than that, but it, it rubbed me the wrong way. So often I'd help them with the feelings and validate name and all of those things. And then when it came to the thoughts, I'd say, have you talked to the psychologist about that? <laughs> Cause I didn't want to yeah. do what, what sort of my guide book or, um, sort of best practice at that point was. So I was looking for alternatives and I was finding myself really drawn to things that were a lot more mindfulness based and sort of that turning toward creating awareness, having compassion. I want to give, I was giving these people compassion for these difficult thoughts and feelings that would come up. And that, uh, when I found that's how I kind of happened upon act, I was looking for resources to support a more compassionate way of supporting these people in continuing to move toward doing the things that are meaningful to them without being like, well, let's buck up and just do it. Um, so act came up in my world that way. And I fell in love. Yeah. I mean, and I think anyone who's listened to any further or previous episodes knows I bring, pretty much bring it up like every single episode. And again, um, I, the thing that, that, that I find so helpful about it personally is that you were talking about, you know, learning how to reframe with CBT and see, see your situation in a different light. And that can be really helpful. But at a certain yeah. point, if, if what you're stuck on is uncertainty, which is what we're going to talk about today, uncertainty in the pandemic. And then it's like, okay, a therapist can sit there and tell me, like, if I say, what if it never gets better? Like, what if my condition never gets better? And the therapist is like, well, let's reframe that. What if it does? It's like philosophically, like whether, first of all, yes, it's definitely invalidating, but it's also philosophically, like I know in my gut, like the reality is that it might not ever get better. It might get better. It might not like there's this giant range. So like how CBT to me did not really teach me how to cope with that uncertainty. Um, and again, maybe I just wasn't learning it the right way or whatever, but yeah, that's where the mindfulness and the act and like, actually, instead of just arguing with the present moment, like actually learning how to um, connect to it. It's so unintuitive when you live in pain, especially because you're like, I don't like the present moment. I'm trying to get to a better one. 
which is human nature. It's survival, right? We experience a threat, whether it be pain or fear or something like that. And our our nervous system is like, yep, you don't want that. Like, let's get the heck out of here. Um, Why on earth would we sit with it and turn toward it? It's not our nature to do so. But quite often that's where we're trying to manage because if we avoid everything, like if you avoid everything that is painful for you, your life becomes very small, right? And that's that you want to be doing things. You don't want to be like taking giant risks and creating flare-ups every day, but you know, it's, it's that ability to kind of go, okay, yeah, my, my, I, I do want to kind of run, but I'm learning that I can actually sit within it's less threatening than my nervous system is telling me. Um, Cause my nervous system says, get out of here. And we can, we can actually be with this. Where, where's that safer zone and how can we make room for that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it was so, um, different when I first, you know, learned it, I was like, why? Cause I was so focused on making things better. You know, and I think that a lot of people who get diagnosed with like a chronic condition, like rheumatoid arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis, you know, it's, it's a problem and your brain is, you know, like let's you've solve it. Yeah. Let's, let's, fix solve it. let's get rid let's of this. It. And yes. yet we can do a both. And right. Of course we go to the doctor and like, yeah. you know, I've talked numerous times about how important, you know, getting your disease under control, like with Absolutely. medication and lifestyle, you know, whatever works for you. But at the same time, like understanding at a certain point that there are going to be like aspects of my rheumatoid arthritis are solvable and apps aspects are perpetual, yes. you know, to borrow from the John Gottman, like marriage research. Yeah. So, but, and so uncertainty is a perpetual problem. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about uncertainty during the pandemic. Cause that's something that like everyone is having to cope with, whether they have arthritis or not. But yeah. I, th- I wanted to first talk a little bit about uncertainty, um, as, as, a difficulty just at baseline with living with a chronic condition, particularly one that's characterized by flare-ups and remissions. I think that's the part, like I coped really well with rheumatoid arthritis initially, or I shouldn't say really well, like judgmentally, but like I felt initially like, okay, I got this diagnosis. And then I had this very simplistic idea because my first medication worked really well. I was like, okay, well, I just take my medication and it's just going to work forever. And I'm going to feel good, fine forever. And like, this is an obstacle. And like, I'm on the hero's journey. And like, I overcame it. Like this was the mountain. I climbed it. I'm on the other side, you know? Yeah. And then what the first time my arthritis really flared up seven years after my initial diagnosis, I was extremely confused. Cause I was yeah. like, well, wait, I'm taking my medicine. Like I'm doing I the I thing. This. Yeah. I thought exactly. And that's people say, oh, is it really hard when you got diagnosed? And anyway, this is my whole long story, but no, it wasn't hard at all when I got diagnosed. Cause I had been so traumatized by being accused of faking told I was, you know, um, not sick, just anxious. You were, then my parents were told that they thought I was hiding an eating disorder because I was losing weight. It was just awful, awful, awful. So the, the diagnosis was like this giant moment of validation. Like, yeah, my suffering is real. It has a diagnosis, but then, so then when I got my first flare up seven years later, that was when I really had a difficulty accepting that this is this is not so simple anymore. So the point is that I realized it's not the symptoms that were difficult for me to cope with. It's the not knowing like, well, okay, if this medication didn't work, it worked, then it didn't. It's like, okay, so then if the next one works, will it also not work at some point? Like you get caught in this spiral of and not almost know- this black and white. Like I yeah. thought I had all the control and now I have no control. I see that I have no control. Yes. And when there's yes. actually like the truth is somewhere in the middle and it probably fluctuates, but you're not at either end. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I know that like some people or a lot of people connect with the, these funny little memes that are like in, in the, you know, chronic pain community and rheumatoid arthritis community. It's like, are my pains not, are my pain medicines not working or are they working? And the pain would be unbearable if I didn't right. take them. And like that, it sounds like a funny question. Like when you look at it on a meme, but yeah. it's actually, that is a fundamental question. Like I, like I was telling even my rheumatologist the other, the other day, it's been 19 years. And so it's like, what, I don't even know what my baseline is supposed to be. Like, I don't know what 40 year old Cheryl is supposed to, f- was, let's say in an alternative timeline of my life where I didn't do your own like, adventure, Cheryl. I don't know what it's supposed to, I don't know what life is supposed to like. Am I supposed to feel no pain ever? Like, I don't even know what normal is. Right. And so anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of thoughts in there, but yeah. Um, I know that when, what are some things that, you know, that, that you found helpful with people who are kind of getting stuck in the uncertainty loop because uncertainty for me makes me want to just, oh, I'll just find the answer, right? A lot of people, that's like you search, the uncertainty is a problem. So you search for certainty. So it's the vegan diet. That's going to make my RA go away. It's the keto diet. It's, it's exercise. It's a certain kind of exercise. It's a Zumba. No, it's not. It's high intensity aerobic exercise. Oh, no, or high intensity interval training. Oh no, it's taking this med. Oh no, it's, you know, it's like you search for the certainty and it's like a trap because or yeah, what, what do you recommend? For that? And you know what the trap in that is control. I love control though. I know, I've learned, <laughs> I know I've you learned, do. <laughs> I've learned. So I've, that has been the, yeah, that's been the most helpful thing is to learn how to like stop clinging to control so much and accepting that control is an illusion, but man, it's hard. It is hard. Cause why on earth, if you could solve this problem, you you would, right? Like, and so let's find the solution because I'd like to solve this problem. And I think about a DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy concept here, where there's this wise mind or this logical mind and this emotional mind. And if they're like two circles on a Venn diagram, um, sometimes we go into this logical problem solving. Let's fix this. What are the answers? What does the research tell me? Let's see more experts. What do I need to learn? Um, and um, turn away from like, cause the emotions are a lot. They're really overwhelming. So let emotional meltdown, jump over to logic and problem solving. And um, it's an effort to control because guess what, in your, when you're in problem solving mode, you're, you're not connected to those emotions as much. Um, and so you're thinking, 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 and, but you've turned away on these emotions that are actually really important. And so in DBT, they talk about kind of coming to that wise mind, which is where the overlap is, where you can be present with the emotions, you can be present with the thoughts. We're not we're, we're trying to kind of come back to that middle rather than one extreme or the other. And um, dialectical behavioral therapy, like if we're getting technical, I, is kind, I look at like ACT as DBT and CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy had a baby and it was ACT because DBT has a lot of mindfulness in it. And um, the so I like how it, that kind of comes into ACT because a lot of mindfulness is about going, okay, like I can't control all the things. I'm going to be present in this moment with what's here in this moment. What am I experiencing? I'm feeling some fear. I'm actually not feeling that much pain in this moment. I was kind of like, kind of had a lot of pain this morning. And maybe that's kind of sent me into this. I got to find the answers. This isn't workable. Or maybe I'm feeling less anxious in this moment. Actually, can I actually be okay and expand into what's here? Or am I really overwhelmed that I'm going to sit and be kind to myself in it rather than go, this is terrible. 
I need to find all the answers. Um, and that's not to say don't go looking for answers. Of course, you, you, you learn, you need to learn. That's empowering. But not having that um, response, that emotional or physical or thought response, determine all of our actions. So being yeah. able to kind of make intentional choices about what we do, um, kind of there's a, there's a stimulus, maybe it's one of those things, right? Fear, threat, pain. Um, and then there's room in here to pause before we react and act. Mm. And we want to in there kind of be able to have a little bit of wiggle room, which means we're not running away immediately. We're kind of turning toward and being curious and present and self-compassionate with that threat before we then choose an action that's allied with our intentions and our values. So where do we, how do we want to be showing up in this moment? How do we want to be responding? How do we want to be living our life? And what's actually possible in this moment, right? You might, mm -hmm. if you are having a flare or something that maybe you can't go do that thing that you really wanted to do, but what can you do that aligns with your values? And then in that pause, we have a little bit more control of our mm -hmm. actions and intentional, not control of trying to get rid of the threat. Oh my gosh. That's such an important distinction. And I think the thing that I, I always say the act was unintuitive for me at first. And I think it's, it's like, if we drill down to like a really, really specific example, let's say like I'm coming back home from my like second rheumatologist appointment, let's say they've started me on a medication and I'm not sure if it's working well or not. You know, it's been a couple of months and I'm feeling a little bit better, but again, I'm not having that like maybe perfect response to medicine that I was hoping I was going to have. And I'm like sitting at the computer and I'm like, have 20 tabs open, you know, trying to like think, okay, again, like, you know, what should I do ice? Should I do heat for my pain? Like, should I do this one special diet versus the other? And I'm joining all these groups and everyone says different things. And like the, the impulse for me in that moment is to like, open more tabs, like to yeah. keep trying, like, okay, just the next one, like the next one is going to find, is going to have me, you know, give me the answers. Like I'm looking and for you're, that. Answer. You're very intelligent, right? So intelligence <laughs> is your superpower. You. you have the, you have the resources, you have the awareness, you have that your background is an OT. That's like, okay, how do we fix this? Like, let's, yeah. let's research, right? Let's go to my strength. And so like, when I'm trying, I'm trying to think about someone listening right now. Who's like in that, what's the word? Like the, um, uh, the devil's advocate or like the kind of crit, not, not yeah. understanding the point of this. Like, yeah. so if someone's like, okay, so you want me to, you don't want me to open another tab. So I, so what can you walk me through? Like, what would it look like for me to say, okay, is it kind of like step away from the computer <laughs> and just sit for a moment and sit and connect to yourself. Right. Yeah, it's it, so in act language, when you jumped into problem solving, you were hooked, right? So you're going to turn away from the experience of, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like there was this shift with my doctor. I I've lost control. I don't know what to expect with the new medication. Um, I need to then, and so there's discomfort, right? I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm nervous. I'm uncertain and that's uncomfortable. And there's that jump okay, I'm going to go all in on research mode. So, um, not to say like, if it's workable for you, whatever, like <laughs> if that's yeah. kind of part of your process and it's not going to leave you in this kind of, um, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I'm researching and I'm, I'm thinking and thinking and thinking, and I'm not making supper and I'm not hugging yeah. my kids and I'm not, whatever. Um, that's not workable probably for a lot of people, but if it's workable for you, it's okay. Like you'll come back just 
the idea is like, if, if it's not workable, you're hooked, right? And so if you're hooked into unworkable action, you can kind of go, okay, first you have to notice that you're hooked. That's, that's the tricky part, right? Like actually noticing yeah. that is this working for me or not, right? Like your husband's like, are, are you, are you going to bed tonight? Like you're yeah. still on your computer and you look really stressed. Um, yeah. Oh, right. I'm like, yeah. is it actually like when we say, is it workable? Yeah. Another word, I think, let me know if this is correct in your terms, but like, it would just be, is it helpful? Like, is all this working right now? Is it helping me to open another tab? Like, and that's why I think it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to say like, it's wrong to open a bunch of internet tabs. No, that's not what I'm saying no. at all. Or not what you're saying. It's the actions aren't right or wrong. It's, are they helpful in your life? Are they helping you lead you towards connecting Living a to full life, a full, yeah. yeah, a full life. And I think the thing that was that really struck me when I was reading the happiness trap by Dr. Russ Harris. And I'm sure my therapist had said this to me before, but it really hit home. Maybe it's one of those things that to hear it like seven times, but you know, a full life includes the full range of human emotions. Like we can't run from them. And I think in, you know, I've been through exposure therapy for claustrophobia, which I know I've, I've talked about in the podcast just a tiny bit before, but when you talked about sitting down and instead just taking a moment to connect with what, you know, what is happening in the present moment? How am I how am I physically feeling? How am I emotionally feeling? And you mentioned discomfort. Like it's so intuitive for me to, to run away from discomfort. I'm like, I don't even want to feel it for one millisecond, you know, but this practice has been come so helpful to me to say, it's like an exposure to your own emotion. You know what I mean? Like exposure therapy is like, you know, you could the traditional thing people imagine when they hear exposure therapy is you're afraid of spiders. And so you learn how to like, look at a picture of a spider and be in a room with a spider and then touch a spider, you know, but in this case, it's like, you literally have to get exposed to your own discomfort, your own emotional mental discomfort. And, and there's a parallel there because it's the same. It's, it's a similar strategy to getting, um, sitting with your physical discomforts or pain, yes. right? So I, in my work, I tend to use very parallel strategies for pain and for anxiety, because these are both things that tell our nervous system, we are in danger. And so they're harder to unhook from because I'm trying to escape physical pain. I'm trying to escape emotional pain. And, um, and both of those things would feel very, very threatening. And so learning to retrain and go, okay, like I assume, I don't know exactly about your day-to-day -day experience show, but I imagine you experience pain every day. And if you spent all day trying to get rid of it, um, not to say getting, reducing pain is a bad thing, but if all of your actions in a day were oriented to, eliminating pain, you wouldn't be doing all the things that you need to be doing. You wouldn't be working. You wouldn't be parenting. You wouldn't be, you know, taking care of the house and the dog and all of those things doing this podcast. And so it's the same for emotional pain, discomfort, right. anxiety. Um, if it's controlling, if the symptom, whatever that symptom is and discomfort sounds like I'm like reducing it, but if we can kind of lump all sizes of discomfort and pain into and physical into the same thing, if they are controlling all of our actions, we are not living a full and meaningful life. And so being able to find ways to sit with what is and be curious about it, um, it helps us feel a sense of control actually like if we can then choose our action we'd like to control our actions and what we're doing with our life rather than control the symptom that's so yeah and that's one thing you always have well not always but you you have some control in any moment on what you 
do versus you don't always have control over how much pain you're in. And I, the, what you're talking about with, um, holding onto things tightly. I remember this book, even cowgirls get the blues by Tom Robbins, one of my favorite fiction books. He's just a great writer. Um, and he's, you know, in the book, there's this kind of repeating theme of like that, which you hold holds you, mm. you know, so the holding the tighter, you hold on to this idea that I have to have perfect symptom control and I have to fix this problem. You know, my, I'm a, I'm a warrior and I'm battling against my condition. Right. And yes. a lot of people find the warrior like W A R <laughs> warrior, um, like metaphor, really helpful and empowering. So again, if it's helpful to, to you do it, but what I'm saying is that like, this is, a chronic lifelong illness. Like there are, there, there are people who are able to find like something that works for a while, but no one at the end of the day is, is guaranteed to have conquered all suffering in human life. Like whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, or just life, like life is going to, and that's the thing that I think is like, it's like the elephant in the room that like no one ever really said until I started reading into act and kind of realizing that like, like no one is guaranteed a life without suffering, you know? And yeah. so in fact, it, the only way to avoid suffering is to not do anything, not love people, not take risks, not go on a date, yeah. not go swimming or, you know, like there's what, what life yeah. is that? So I love what you're saying about, um, yeah, about that kind of that urge to, to get away and be the warrior and fight this thing. Um, and because, and similarly, like there's no one right way to do it. And if it's workable for you, if it's working and effective for you, great, but it's good to have other tools in the toolbox for the times when that doesn't work for you. And so, and I've heard this similarly with cancer too, that some people are like, we're going to fight this and da, 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 da. And essentially you're become making your body an enemy you're making your human experience an enemy. And um, that's not very compassionate, right? That's being in fight mode all the time. And um, that doesn't work all the time. It, 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 you know, cause there are moments where you have to be kind to it and treat it like a small child or, um, or a loved one. And yeah, you, that doesn't mean you're gonna love your pain. You're gonna be like, you are great. I love rheumatoid arthritis, it's awesome. But if you're at odds with your day-to-day -day experience as the enemy, um, it, it, it's really, it's more hooky. Like it, it kind of keeps you in that fight mode. How do I get away from this? And fight, flight, freeze is not a good experience to be in our nervous system all the time, right? And so being able to turn with self-compassion, and I love Kristen Neff's work for this, and, and ACT is full of self-compassion. Um, so it's, it's, it's all aligned, but Kristen Neff talks a lot about, um, actually she's done a lot of research. I pulled up an article. She's got a, a cool book called fierce self-compassion that I read recently. Um, and in it, she talks about many things that the research has shown a practice of self-compassion actually improves and it's happiness. People are more hopeful and optimistic, more satisfied with life, more gratitude, less anxious, less depressed, stressed, less fearful, less likely to compete, uh, complete a suicide, less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, wiser, more emotionally intelligent. And I'm not even halfway through the list. I'm not going to read it all to you, but ultimately having self-compassion and turning toward all of our experiences and all of us with compassion is more empowering than 
fighting ourselves because ultimately you're living with this and you know, you're likely to always experience some level of pain. And if that's always the enemy, you're always at odds with yourself and being able to turn to it with compassion and kindness. Um, does, have you heard, do you know the uh, book? I know you said warrior W a, yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking about that reference to the book. Hey, Hey warrior. Um, oh. it's a, it's an anxiety book for kids and oh. there's this fuzzy friend who's really protective and he's like twice the size of the kid and the kid, when the kid gets scared, the, the, this kind of this, it can, and it refers to warrior kind of thing, warrior, warrior. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the, this fuzzy guy jumps in and he's going to protect him from all the things. No, nope, let's just stay here. Let's just stay cozy in our tent. Let's not go do those things. Um, and it turns out that the big fuzzy guys are amygdala Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and our amygdala mm-hmm. jumps in and says, Hey, no, we're not going to do this. And instead he makes friends with the amygdala and says, Hey, you know what? I, I, I really want to do this though. And I know you want to protect me from any risk, but it's really important for me to get out of the, the blanket fort and go out and do something. And, and so befriending the part of you that puts you into fight mode is, is yeah. the moral of that story. I love that. And I remember my therapist once told me the analogy of like, you know, when, when your child is like maybe two years old and they're learning like to go kind of play on the playground, them more independently. And they're sitting at the top of the slide, like, mm-hmm. and they're saying, I don't want to go, but you know, they really, they want to go down the slide by themselves, but they're scared. Like you have to allow that child, that moment of discomfort and fear. And then, because, you know, if you keep holding their hand and, and pu- you know, pushing them down and being with them every single time, they they never have that sense of like, you know, accomplishment and they have to just experience it themselves of, of going that, that, okay, there was this discomfort and I, and I, I don't want to say pushed through it, but like, you know, I survived. And, and yeah. I think it's like this, it is, again, I feel like it's like very paradoxical. Like I sometimes, I almost name one of the episodes of this podcast, like the paradoxical power of acceptance, because it really is paradoxical because you think a lot of people equate acceptance. We haven't even used the word acceptance very much yet. We in this episode. I avoid I it on purpose. I was going to say a lot of people avoid it. I guess I'm weird. Cause I don't, I mean, I guess I've like, I've like totally like I've gone full circle of like I love acceptance. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. But radical um, acceptance even, right? Yeah. Which is radical. empowering. And it does, again, acceptance doesn't mean resignation that things will never no. change, but it's accepting that like I clung so long, you know, so hard for so long to, you know, control. And, you know, um, and it's like, it, that is a burden to yourself to get to, you know, it's like, don't flatter yourself to think that you can control the universe. Like you can't. And like, it's like, at first it's like, whoa, that's tough love. But then it's like, it's a, you you're unburdened. You're like, yeah, like I'm going to do everything I can today. Like, again, like my old soccer coach used to say, you know, control the controllable. Like, I'm not going to be like, who can control whether food comes in my body today? Who knows? Like, I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to let the food cut. Like, obviously you have yeah. to make like choices, <laughs> you know, and, like be a human, but, um, but sorry, that was a long tangent. No, but, <laughs> but that, yeah. that kind of feeds nicely. Cause I know you wanted to talk about like the uncontrollable situation of the pandemic okay. uncertainty. Yes. So that's excellent transition. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I know like, so right now everyone in the world is living through a worldwide pandemic and there is, I have found, um, that, you know, these, these struggles with the uncertainties of the pandemic, 
they're not different than the struggles of uncertainty in, in general, right? It's just that it's on a much bigger scale, yeah. but you know, like, um, in people who let's talk about though, people who are immunocompromised specifically, cause that it, we are having those of us who are immunocompromised are having a unique experience within the global pandemic, because we you know, um, we are more at risk than the general public is in, yeah. in general. So, and there's been a lot, uh, I mean, we could talk forever about this, but, you know, I, I think one of the hardest things that I found myself and the members of my room to thrive support group that I facilitate is just on the very practical level, like assessing risk on a daily basis, you know, yeah. okay. Is it worth it to go to a friend's house if they're vaccinated and they test negative, but what if they actually are about to test positive in two more days and they're in their incubation period? And what if, you know, but if I don't ever see anyone ever again, that's not good for my mental health. And so like you go again, go on these uncertainties. And what if they like, judge me for being too overly cautious? Oh, they, yeah. And they will. And they are like, yeah. and people, you know, it's like, you can't win, you know, to some people you're like, oh, you're just a sheep and you're, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot. Oh, help, well. help us, help me. You know, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you say? say to this? Oh, so many things. So many things. So I think what's coming to mind first is perspective taking. Um, We are all living a perpetual trauma um, and we're all responding differently. And so when I try to step outside of like, when we're when we're really hurting, it's hard to see other people's perspectives, right? I'm, this is me. And why on earth are you putting me at risk? And why on earth are you judging me for taking care of my health? And why on earth would you, you know, all of those things. It's actually probably if we kind of step and go, okay, well, let's look at it as a curious observer, which is an act thing um, to notice myself having those kind of self-oriented perceptions of the situation. But if I can kind of step out and be curious about what's that other person's experience, right? And how are they responding to the pandemic? Because there are a lot of people responding to the, I mean, so many, so many ways. (laughs) And I even think in my own family, there's a huge perspective, a huge um, variety of ways. And I've had to, because these are people I really love, I've had to kind of go, okay, like to me, like why on earth would you see it that way? But I have to, I have to try and help myself see it compassionately because I love you as my sibling or, you know, friend or what have you. And still I have to keep myself safe. And so if I can kind of go, okay, like not everybody um, has a, a scientific health background. So they might not see things the way I see them. Um, other people kind of have just like thrown up their hands and go oh, I, like, you know what? I'm just going to get on with my life. Like everything we're trying to do to control this um, isn't working. So I'm going to get on with my life and look at that. Now everybody's getting COVID. I don't like every time I have a conversation, it's like almost 50, 50. Do you have COVID now or do you not? Right. Which is very scary for people who are immune compromised. Um, and, and then kind of going, well, some people are, take that same information and go see like we've been controlling our lives and avoiding all these things and it's not that big a deal um which I don't think that's very useful perspective because of variants and whatever but not everybody can look at it that way um and so people respond in different ways and I'm noticing a lot of people who have um earlier trauma 
of some sort related to control, um, being controlled, being abused, being in the military, being, you know, all of these things are really responding to this sense of being restricted as abusive, um, that they're responding in that way. And so that's how they're handling and trying to survive this pandemic. And while I disagree with them, I can try to see it from their perspective and go, okay, I can see why maybe this person's responding that way. That doesn't work for me in my life here. <laughs> and, but maybe that isn't about me. Yeah, no, that, that totally, that totally makes sense. I, I didn't think about how it would feel to have a tra trauma, like you said, trauma related to control um, and how being restricted. I mean, cause I, I, I have, I, I have struggled when I talked about claustrophobia earlier. So that it was actually clytrophobia, which is fear of being trapped. And I was, uh, so I had both claustrophobia and clytrophobia and I can still struggle with them. Um, but it's, I didn't know there's a difference. I think I yeah. have the latter. Not the yeah. Oh, interesting. I think a lot of people just use claustrophobia as a, um, as a catch-all, but yeah, clytrophobia is spelled like C-L-E-I-T-H-R-O. So I don't even know if I'm pronouncing really? it right, yeah. but, um, but I have had that with the fear of being trapped in my body. Like when I honestly, not even my RA as much, but, um, I've had some really bad stomach bloating before where I just feel like I just want to like remove my stomach and my entire GI system and just like put them, you know, take it off. And I'm like, it's like, it's, it's like the enemy. Yeah. something's on me. It's like, get it out. I need to get out. I need to get out. I'm like, I'm trapped in a room. It feels like that, but it's mental. It's not, I'm not in a small space. Right. Wow. But, um, but the point is that like, yeah. So people telling you if, if you have that kind of, um, challenge around control, then being told that you can't leave your house or you need to be yeah locked down is, is really difficult. And I think, you know, yeah, I, I'll say for, for me, you know, there's been a couple of times when others, in the, in the immunocompromised community. Like I've, I've just done little cute videos of like, I got my vaccine today or like trying to help normalize it and also just totally. share my experience. That's part of being like a, you know, quasi influencer type person, you know, and also being like, Hey, you know, I trying to help amplify the importance of vaccination, all this stuff. But I, but like at a certain point, um, I have to say like, I have a limited, so when I get all these comments, you know, the anti-vax and, and other things, like, again, I can, I always do try to operate from the assumption of like, seek first to understand, you know, like yeah. so everyone has a logic to their point of view, unless they are like very, very mentally, you know, unwell. But, um, so, but then I also, I'm like, I also need to say, like, I have X amount of like energy in a day or X amount of spoons and I want to spend them like where, what do I value connecting yeah. to what I value and what it also is the best to return on investment? Like yes. I could spend the next hour engaging in debates about vaccines that are not going to be productive for anyone, or it's I can not spend workable that, for you. It's not workable. And it's no. not, it's, it's actually just perpetual. It's making me more anxious and not to say that I have to avoid anxiety at all costs, but it's having a negative effect. Why create it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or I can spend that hour like supporting the people in my support group and like creating more, in, you know, educational videos and like things that I know are going to bring value to the world. And, and, and so I think that that's where a lot of people are getting stuck because they feel this, like it, 
when, let's say I comment on a video and I do sometimes respond to the comments that are, yep. you know, um, and there's a lot of, there's a gray area with, with, you know, with people who have autoimmune diseases and, sure. and who, you know, um, there, I have friends who have had, you know, um, who have severe allergies who can't take certain vaccinations and, and, um, and, shoot, I I forgot my train of thought, but there were, it's like, oh, when you make a comment, it's like, it can feel like, okay, I'm helping. Like I'm helping the situation because I'm like, I'm maybe sharing some information, but then you can get stuck in this, like this, this little, um, cycle of like, I have to, I have to like come on everyone's thing and like someone's wrong on the internet. And then that I becomes, know. I, yeah, get okay. I get hooked by hooked. that too sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then it's kind of helpful too, to remember that, when we get in total opposition from some, with someone, we're never going to actually change their perspective. Like that the kind of better negotiating point is somewhere gently in the middle. Right. And so I, like you as a healthcare professional, I feel um, a responsibility to share a perspective because the opposition is loud. And so if people are only hearing that, and I mean, social media is notorious for only putting in front of us what aligns with what we want to see. Right. But sometimes the, the, the things get through. And anyways, I feel a responsibility to share a perspective, but I've chosen not to get loud about it. There was a time where I think I was loud about it, but I need to be kind of more empathetic and make room and, and kind of acknowledge that, you know, like not everybody can even get the vaccine because of their, their immunocompromised status, for instance, or that's not the same for everybody who's immunocompromised. There's ways that you need to, and I've been watching your stuff. It's very educational. And I think education versus conflict is, is more effective and it's less draining for you. Um, and, and thinking back to act in all of this to act is like the main goal. I mean, the main goal is to live a rich, full and meaningful life, but the skills themselves are building in psychological flexibility. And so if we can create a little bit of curiosity um, and seek first to understand, right? Like try to understand, be curious, be open. We're less likely to be in this, like we need to fight and we need to argue and our nervous system is overwhelmed and has us in fight mode. If we can leave room for questions and leave room for curiosity, there's this, um, I think it comes from another kind of approach that I'm not so sure about, but um, the this idea of affirmations. Um, so like there's a lot of people like affirmations. Oh, yeah. And I did a YouTube video about that, that there's actually like, if you actually don't believe the affirmation that you are reminding yourself, it only serves to highlight the gap and people tend to feel worse, but if you actually believe it and need it as a reminder, cool. Um, something that is an alternative is what if, and so if you were to say, um, I am pain-free or I, you know, or something like that, well, what if, like, is that is there a possibility? We don't know that there's a possibility or what if this day to day is going to go okay? Or what if I have a great day or what if, and, and what it's doing is just that kind of similar, that slight perspective shift of possibility. We don't have to convince ourselves the opposite of our assumption or our fear. Um, we have to be open to curiously exploring alternate possibilities. And when we're open to possibilities, we're more wiggly and flexible and we can more easily choose something that's meaningful, choose our actions, choose our behaviors rather than being controlled by control. Yeah. Controlled by control. Yes. It's so meta. So I meta. I, I just bought a, I bought a shirt from, I love this website and it's a nonprofit called 
I think it's a nonprofit self-care is for everyone. Mm. Um, and this shirt just says, what if it all works out? You know, cause my anxiety brain tries to tell me all the possibilities of things not working out constantly, you know, and it's actually, I don't know if you've heard of positive pessimism or defensive pessimism, no, but it's that actually, cool, though. it's, it's weird. Cause I, um, it's, it's a phrase that I came across like years ago, in my undergrad, but it's basically saying, so it's a style of always, um, thinking that the worst will happen in, in actually in an effort to be chronically pleasantly surprised. So you're <laughs> chronically, you're actually like, Oh, this is great. Life is great because like the worst case didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Um, but what I was also, okay. When you were talking about, um, uh, Oh shoot. Sorry. I lost it. I lost it. But you were talking about okay, never mind. The other thing, the thing that I think keeps coming up in, in my kind of social group is, there was a point in the pandemic where we were, at least in the, in the US and, and in some parts of Canada, you know, we're locked down. Like lockdown was very black and white, right? Like I can, my, the way I can socialize is virtual. That's it. And with the people in my home. And yeah. then there's quote unquote, regular life, pre-pandemic life. But now we're in the messy middle, right? Yeah. We're, we're not in and lockdown. And it keeps changing too, and it keeps right? changing. Yeah. So like, if we, again, I'm, maybe I'm being too specific, but like drilling down into like, a specific of someone trying to figure out like how, like, let's say, um, I want to go, is it, is it safe? This is the thing I've heard a lot of people say, is it safe for me to go have coffee with a friend? What if we sit outside? What if we go to the person's garage? What if we go to a restaurant? Like what? And, and it's, we're see the, the, the challenge is that, okay, we're seeking like this answer and no one can actually give you the answer. Like it's safe or it's not safe. They can give you a, an overall idea of risk. Like I was actually back in like that weird period, like before Delta and like after vaccinations, you know, where we were like, where we were kind of pretty good. Yeah. Right? Like I remember we asking kinda, my rheumatologist, like how bad would it be to go on a flight right now? Like yeah. you know, trying to think about like planning the future and like having something to look forward to. And then she was like, actually, you know, you'd be worse off going. This is just what my rheumatologist said. I'm not giving anyone medical advice, but at that point she said the, you know, if you went into a restaurant and ate a meal unmasked, that would be worse than going on an airplane and keeping your mask on the whole time. She's kind of saying like, it's about kind of eating and breathing unmasked. And that was, so there's, there's ways you can kind of have a, a hierarchy in general. Like, yeah, if I'm sitting in like a ventilated space with a friend having coffee on their deck, that is going to be less risky than unmasked in their home with maybe their home of eight people or whatever. But like we get, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I totally do. Like, what are some tools for people to like ride those waves of uncertainty instead of seeking certainty? Cause I just, I just want the answer. Just tell me what I can do and I'll do it. You know? Yes. And the, a stressed human seeks the like things in black and white. Yeah. And so like, and thinking to like, when I learned about cognitive behavioral therapy, there's a list of cognitive distortions and it's all or none thinking or black and white thinking. And that is the default for a lot of stressed individuals. Like, have you ever been in an argument with your spouse or somebody? You always do that. We'll never yeah. do this. And those are infuriating because you're like, nothing is always, I don't always do that. I do sometimes do that. And, um, and so thinking about that in terms of, are we safe or are we not safe? Right? Like, um, 
I mean, are we ever a hundred percent safe? No, like you could be walking down the sidewalk and get run over. Like you, there's sort of a, an amount of risk that you are making room for. I used to be a flight attendant when I was in university and people, the people, lots of people are terrified of flying yet. They're not terrified to get in a car where there are a million times, not a million, but many, many, many times more likely to become injured or paralyzed or die. Um, but there wasn't fear there. And the, the difference often is control. I have no control about what this plane does. Well, yes. driving, I feel like I have control. However, you don't have control over the other drivers or, you know, and walking down the street, you don't have control over whether somebody is driving drunk on the road. Um, so calculated risk, measurable risk. So my family, we love, love, love to travel. And the pandemic has been hard in that way, right? And like first world problems, but still, this is a really meaningful occupation for us. And um, our kids are teenagers and they're growing and, you know, they're wanting to be around us less and less. And we're feeling like we're missing on some really cool memory making time. And we've done the best we can with everything around. We've gotten really good at being tourists in our own area. We live in a beautiful area that people travel to um, close to the Rockies and Banff and such. So we've spent more time because normally we would fly away. My husband works for an airline and kids have a few days off work. Where are we flying to or off school? Um, so our level of risk for engaging in that meaningful activity nobody's immune compromised in our family. Um, you know, and yeah, we didn't get on planes. Like we went, we flew somewhere last summer and then we flew somewhere last fall. So Delta happened in between those. And I might not have gone to the conference in the fall had I committed to it, like had it come up in the middle of Delta. And I like, I got to be a keynote speaker at the conference. This was the OT entrepreneurs of it um, live in Florida. And you couldn't go to that, right? Cause that was for your own health. That was too much of a risk. And for my health, it was a lower risk because I, um, I'm less likely to have complications and my family's less likely to have complications and the payoff had high potential. And so for me, the risk was different than for you on the same, very same decision. Um, and so I think that nothing's black and white. If we can encourage ourselves to think in the messy middle and make calculated choices and ultimately intentional choices. So what, what are my values? What do I care about? What's really important to me? What are my own risks? And how do those weigh on the scale? Like, and I think those vary from time to time too. Like there've been times where people are just so head up with all of it that they they feel trapped in this and they're like screw it I'm getting on a plane and mm -hmm. going to Mexico and how many people have we been seeing messages like I'm stuck in Mexico I tested negative <laughs> or tested positive and I can't come home yeah. and here I'm at the resort texting with other people and and some people judge that because they're like why on earth would you have taken that risk whereas I look at it and go yeah I could see I kind of wanted to go to Mexico too. And in Omicron, for most people, the consequences are relatively low. We don't know what the long-term consequences are as a person who, who works with people with um, autoimmune disorders and things like that. I'm definitely worried about long COVID, mm -hmm. uh, but so many factors, so many factors embrace the messy middle and be as flexible and take as many perspectives and, and reevaluate where you can. Right. And what I think where it gets difficult is that it's not, it's not just a matter of individual people making their own individual risks. It's that our actions affect each other. And I think where a lot of people who are immunocompromised struggling are struggling with like 
anger and jealousy and emotions that, you know, they, they can, they can come up even before the pandemic, right. Jealous of friends who, you know, like I remember thinking, I'll just be totally honest. You know, I got diagnosed when I was like 21 and I, I had been so, I was health conscious, not in an obsessive way, but I was like, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, like, and I didn't smoke. And, you know, I quote unquote did, I I mean, I ate like sugar and stuff. I wasn't like perfect, but you know, to watch all these people around me, you know, like uh, I went to school, it was a lot of people were partying, you know, I was on the soccer team, but I was always like the one drinking water and stuff. And like, why am I the one that got sick? Like, what did I do? You know? And so it's, there's already anger or jealousy, you know, and I want to say, I'm not like angry at the people, but um, now I wasn't angry back at the time at anyone who didn't have rheumatoid arthritis, but I was angry at the situation of like the unfairness of it. And then also jealous of other people who, you know, um, who didn't have to deal with what I was dealing with. And, and then right now in the pandemic, it's, there's another layer to it. Cause it's like, I can, yeah, I can take a moment to take your perspective and like, understand why you might not want to like, you know, again, I don't, I don't want this to do a bad vaccination because it's just such a difficult topic to talk about, but sure. let's say, you know, um, you know, that, that I can understand why you're making your choice, but that when someone refuses to acknowledge that their choice affects others, like that's where it gets really hard for me to just cope with like the anger or frustration I feel at those people. And so what in that moment would the goal, like would act an act kind of approach be to just connect to that anger and like sit with it? Or what would I do? (laughs) I know it's a tricky one. I, um, I learned a lot from TikTok. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't, I'm, nope. I was going to say, I don't mean to be like asking nope. you for like a free therapy session. No. I'm just kind of trying to general tips and tricks. Sorry. I have trouble not putting on my therapist hat. Yeah. <laughs> so I just fine. realized that sounded like I was like, yeah. No. So I was watching a TikTok yesterday. Um, cause that's one of my avoidance <laughs> escapes. These days. You're connecting to something entertaining and educational. That's what Absolutely. I say. And so I follow a lot of epidemiologists on TikTok. And so yeah. there's this one, who, I, I should find her name, but she posted something yesterday. She's an epidemiologist who moved to a small town in my province where the post office is in the gas station. And a lot of our province is, um, um, anyways, in the small towns, there's not people, a lot of people buying this COVID stuff. Like they're just kind of like, Nope, you can't control me. And this is affecting my livelihood and I'm not having it. So the people who own the gas station and run the post office out of it are not wearing masks. And so everybody needs to use the post office, right? Like you can't be like, well, I'm going to choose not to go use that gas station. I'll use the one in the next town. That's their post office. Right. And so that's a, that's not cool. Right. And so my immediate thought was like, you need to call Canada post and you need to inform them and they need to do something. And da, 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 da. like, I felt like I was in fight mode. Like I was like, that is infuriating. Um, I, I can appreciate if you know, there's another place where you're not requiring, but people don't have to go there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Make your own choices, but that is affecting people. There's going to be people who could have complications who have to go in the post office and what can we, so in, as I kind of process that, I'm thinking, well, what's in my control in my control, I could call Canada post. Um, and this woman, very educated woman, right? She, it was a rant that she, she normally posts very educational about the studies and the research and she was mad and I was mad with her. Um, and it was good. Sometimes it's cathartic. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's injustice. Right. And when there's yeah. an injustice, I jump into like, 
we need to fix this. And that's not fair. Even if it's not fair to me, even like, I'll be fine, but that's not cool. Um, Cause you're taking away choice from other people. And so, yeah, I, I kind of then went, I don't live in this small town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need to, I don't know what small town it is, but I don't need to call Canada post. She should probably call Canada post. It's also not, not my fight, right? Like I didn't need to be angry all evening about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to unhook a little bit. And if it, if I was a person who needed to use the post office and they, that post office was putting me at risk, then, then I might look at what I can control and what I can't control. So first, can you say, Hey, just so you know, I, have this medical condition, not that you have to tell them, but COVID is actually quite dangerous for me. And mm-hmm. so I would really appreciate it if you followed the guidelines, um, cause I have to come in here. And so that might not land well. And then mm-hmm. what's your next control? What's your next control, but sort of having a, you're trying to kill me response like that. We kind of feel inside, um, is, is frustrating. Right. And so like sort of that, that threat, the injustice, jealousy, those are big hooky emotions, um, that it's hard, harder to unhook from than, huh, I'm pretty nervous. Right. Or I'm upset or I'm sad, or I'm a little ticked, but like big, big hooky emotions where people seem to be really behaving unfairly or you're feeling jealousy those are stronger ones and so the act tools for unhooking from difficult emotional feeling experiences and difficult thoughts um a lot of them surround sort of just trying to create a little like just a little wiggle room between them so in act um, russ harris he talks about um like if your kind of thoughts feelings are in your face here and you know, you're not able to engage in the things that are important to you. And if you're working really hard to push them away, I'm going to find the answer. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to da, da, da. You're also not able to engage in the things that are important to you. And so being able to find a way to essentially like take the experience off your face, maybe mm-hmm. put it in your lap and you're more likely to then engage in what's meaningful to you. And so the way that we're trying to not get into opposition or not be entirely um, overwhelmed by it is there are lots of strategies, but um, one is kind of, if it's a feeling, naming it, naming yeah. the emotion, how I'm feeling like this is like, it's like strong feelings of injustice or unfairness, feeling really like hooked by the unfairness Um, and, and being able to then go, yeah, like, can I be curious about that? You know, it kind of makes sense. Like kind of, I too tend to get really caught up when things are unfair. That's, that's actually really normal for me because I really care a lot about other people. I really care about things. And when, when things, something's unfair, I do tend to get kind of hooked and just that we didn't change it. We didn't say it's fair. We didn't make it all. Okay. We didn't fix the situation, but we kind of turned toward that feeling and went, Oh yeah. Okay. I can be curious and it's enough to maybe take it off your face or take it out of the fight and put it down and then choose your action. What's something small I can do. Yeah. That's unfair. Um, maybe I'm going to send an email to my grandmother, uh, instead of a letter today, that's meaningful to me. Or Mm -hmm. can I phone somebody? Can I do a small thing that's aligned? Can I give my kid a hug or bake some cookies or something? It doesn't get rid of it, but we're intentionally choosing our action by just creating a little bit of wiggle room through it, through curiosity. Um, and, and just to unhook enough to do something. And the doing is actually the thing that's going to shift our experience of thinking and feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's hard. I think it's hard for a lot of people right now because 
it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, like I can see with my anxiety, like prior, again, prior to the pandemic, like, you know, my brain is telling me that I'm in fight or flight that my survival is threatened. And I can kind of learn that, like to unhook from that, be like, oh yeah, I'm not actually in a life-threatening situation right now. Like maybe in my claustrophobia or claustrophobia. Um, but it, it is threatening when other people are, you know, breathing air that could kill you. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, this is like connected, taking a moment to be, or I, or I think it's, it's hard for people right now to cope with all that. And I, and I just want to acknowledge and validate to people that like, you know, it's, we're, it's not to say that, oh yeah, like I need to get out of fight or fight. Cause you, I mean, you, or maybe tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like, you know, you, you're survive, you could die. Like that is what's at stake here. This is, this is life or death for many people with who are immunocompromised. And so how So that does, that looks like I'm storming out of the post office. I'm mad. Yeah. Yeah. But do I need to spend my whole evening and the rest of my week in that state? Right. Because this is a life that we get and this is what's happening. Like, that's what I come back to a lot of times is like, you know, I could, I'm 40 years old now. I could spend the next, you know, 80 years, like, or sorry, next 40 years. I'm like, I always tell myself I'm going to live to like at least 80 (laughs) uh, or not. I mean, not tell, but like, that's my kind of baseline. Like I have uh, three out of four grandparents live to 94. So I'm like, okay, but having an immune dis- autoimmune disease got it cuts it down a little bit, but point being, it's like, you know, I could spend the rest of my years. Yeah. Railing against a, a bunch of stuff, or, or I could, like you said, connect to, to the present. And what am I going to wish, you know, I had done later, but I just, I still, I don't know. I don't have any answers. I think it's just really, it's really hard to feel like, you know, wow, nice for you that you could be like, I'm going to go to, you know, Mexico and like, la, la, la. Like, I don't want to be, you can't control me. It's like, well, <laughs> it's a little bit privileged, you know? It is. So we just have totally. to kind of say that's, that's the world I live in. Like we don't, you know, you can go try to live by yourself on an Island. Um, but you know, there's probably, if you have a health condition, there's problems with that, right? Cause then you don't have access to healthcare. So we kind of have to accept that we live in like a society with other people and we can't control their actions and other people who are not at their best, like nobody's at their best. Right. So yeah. I think that, I think that this common experience of living through a persistent trauma, like we're, we're, our nervous systems are designed to like go through acute trauma recover, go through. Acute yeah. Trauma, and we're not designed for this, like that we're kind of at this baseline of like in this moment, you or I are not at a lot of risk, but we are actually like, we have to think through, Oh, did I, do we have enough masks? They're out of tests. I've got a sniffle. Should I da, 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 should the like, like we're perpetually thinking about all of these risks and who we're putting, maybe not everybody is, but mm-hmm. um, we're at this level of stress that we're not meant to be at. And so okay. many people are not coping well, and it's coming out in different ways. And we almost think of it like it cancels out because, well, we're all living in this. Um, and so that doesn't even count. You're being a jerk or, yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, but, but people are not behaving at their best people are not experiencing, they're not coping at their best. And so yeah. that looks different for different things, different for different people. And so having that sense of compassion, um, radical acceptance, you don't have to like it. That person's behavior is not okay. Um, mm-hmm. and that situation is not okay. And don't you see that this is so much worse for me than for you, you privileged jerk. <laughs> right? Like, and, but, but nobody's coping well, very few people are coping well. And, right. and I hope that 
like there's a lot of positives. I think people have had to learn to live with more flexibility. Um, right. Like people kind of last week, people are asking me uh, like, what, what, are, what are your weekend plans? And I honestly thought we would have COVID by the end of last <laughs> week because everybody was getting it. And my kids were both in a hockey tournament. That was this citywide tournament where I think a lot of people were pushing the limits of when they should or shouldn't mm-hmm. play because the stakes were high. We need to win the championship. Wow. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of thought that, you know, the only people left were going to be the ones who didn't have all their players off with COVID because it's just the numbers are so high here right now. And mm-hmm. so then I was like, Oh, weird. Like I wasn't even like making weekend plans because I've given up on making plans. Like, yeah, Oh, are you yeah. going to go, you know, what are you going to do this summer? Pfft. I don't know, like right, spring break, right. I, no idea. Like I've, I've learned to stop trying to control things, but then that also leads to me transition. I used to pack my weekends, you know, and now I'm like, when I have one commitment, I'm like, Ooh, this is a tiring weekend. You know, <laughs> yeah, I feel like a retiree in that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, this is, I hope this is helpful to the audience. I think it's helpful. Again, I'm, I'm uncertain. I'm just, uncer- I'm living in the uncertainty. If it's helpful, good. If it's not, that's okay too. Um, and is there anything else you would want um, the audience to know about actor, about anything we've talked about before we have to wrap it up? Um, uh, you know what? A practice that helps us in moments of stress or uncertainty Um, something that we can be practicing in advance of that so that we can be a little bit more resilient in those moments is practicing mindfulness. And so a lot of act is based in mindfulness. And a lot of people think about mindfulness as a stress management strategy, but it's actually a way of reprogramming our brain to be more flexible and adaptable. And um, so if we can engage, if somebody could, if people could engage in a mindfulness practice every day, you know, or certain touch points in your day where you are intentionally being mindful, um, that will help you be able to be respond a little bit more with a little bit more of that wiggle room between the stimulus and your action or your response kind of that it, it builds that, that, that space. Um, and so mindfulness practice doesn't mean necessarily meditation. Some people it can be, but you can meditate mindfully, but you can do the dishes mindfully. Um, and so doing the dishes mindfully is maybe you're not listening to a podcast at the same time, other than this one, um, <laughs> or maybe you're not, you know, trying to catch up on that thing. Maybe you're actually just experiencing doing the dishes and noticing the sensations and noticing the tinkling of the glasses and noticing that it's actually feeling really satisfied trying to sort things. Um, noticing yeah. that you're kind of liking how it's like, I got all these size glasses together, that size glasses together, or how it's nice to like see the counter shining at the end or how, how we're, we're noticing that we're feeling frustrated that nobody put their dishes in the dishwasher or, <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yes. Or another way to it. And so if I, I, when I did my training with Russ Harris for act, um, he had suggested like that you pick a mindfulness activity to practice. That's actually something that irritates you a little bit. And Ooh. it's kind of, I was like, Oh yeah, the other dishes for sure irritate me. So I turned it into a touch point in my day where I got really present and just in the experience, not in the, like, not kind of going to the, why on earth did nobody do this? And oh, it's not my turn. And I do all the things mm-hmm. in this moment, I have a cup and the cup is going in the dishwasher and, you know, and just being present in that, having a touch point. It could be while you're brushing your teeth. It could be something that's routine in your day. 
Um, I often teach mindfulness out on a walk because it's really easy to engage in our five senses. So intentionally Mm -hmm. noticing what we see, noticing what we hear, noticing what we smell, noticing what things feel like, or the sensation of the wind on your face or the cold or the warmth of the sun when you come around the corner. Um, Even just noticing the taste in your mouth. Are you, are you noticing your gum or your coffee from earlier? Or that's so funny. Yeah. Sorry. I just interviewed a, a dentist for the podcast. So that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I totally. noticed that I, I'm noticing I didn't brush as well this morning as I could. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah. if people can practice mindfulness in everyday moments, then things like that are that that flexibility is a little bit more available in times of difficulty or stress. Yeah, I, I really like the definition of mindfulness is simply non-judgmental awareness of the present moment, and and so like you mentioned, there's so many little micro moments throughout the day. Like I actually will say, I don't have a, like a formal mindfulness or meditation practice, no. but I do try to have points of the day where I just say, okay. And my mind's always going a thousand miles an hour, you know, unless I'm like really, really tired. And then it's like, it's all or nothing, you know? So, um, I'll just say like, okay, can I just take one sip of my coffee and just really feel what it feels like to take one sip of coffee instead of trying to multitask seven different things while I'm, you know, gulping down the coffee. And so I think, um, you know, that is definitely something that can, it can definitely help you, um, like in general, get out of that, you know, fight or flight and get into that rest and digest neurological state. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I, I know I sent you one of these a long time ago when it first came out. And so this is a activate vitality, personal development planner. Um, and in there, I, on the, um, there's a, on the front page, I guess people aren't necessarily watching this on video, but, um, I have like sort of starting a mindfulness practice and a gratitude practice as sort of a first stage, a first layer of building into your routine. Um, and then encouraging people to kind of move forward and reflect and notice the things that they really value and notice that, um, what things really make them tick and what things really tick them off, um, Mm -hmm. and having that reflection so that they can be building into their days, more intentional intentionality in alignment with those values. Um, and there are some mindfulness practices in there and sort of values, exercises, practices, and practices for unhooking, um, committed action. All of the act stuff is built into this activate vitality planner, which is available on Amazon. I was going to say, I'll make sure to link to that. (laughs) Um, yes. Thank you so much. And where can people find you online? I'll put your links in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of my online content is oriented toward other occupational therapists because I coach occupational therapists using ACT um, to support their well-being. So to support stuck OTs in pursuing the, that meaningful way of living or working, maybe they want to start a business, maybe they want to make changes in their life, but they're really stuck and not making the action. Um, so if there are any OTs out there who are interested in that, they can totally reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram or on my website. But um, a lot of the content I put out is based in ACT. And it it's, even if I'm talking to OTs, I think it's really helpful for everybody. So maybe a really useful place to look is YouTube. I have a YouTube channel that's Carlin Neek. Um, and there'll be a link, I guess, for that. But yeah, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at BalanceWorksOT. Yeah, and it's interesting. I actually sometimes find with ACT and or any kind of coping tool or, you know, psychological 
concept, sometimes it's actually easier to apply it to yourself when it's not about something so close to you. Yeah, like, true. do you know, like I tend to be anxious, um, and not depressed. So sometimes if I learn it in terms of like, cause what, so my anxiety makes so much sense to me that I'm always being defensive about it. Right. I'm like, well, that's not going to work for me because blah, 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 blah. you know, yeah. whereas if it's yeah. like a, if like, oh, I'm learning it for like people with depression, it's like, since my mind isn't kind of wired that way towards that, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then I can kind of, so yeah. And I think it's that powerful in like, I know you run a group and I run a group yeah. and I find that like one of the most powerful parts about a group is that a person is like learning it empathetically for someone else. And then they go, Oh, now I see it. Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you try to teach something, you realize it yourself deeper too. So exactly. yeah, this is so great. Thank you so much. You've really helped kind of bring these concepts to life. And, and again, it's, this is this, you know, pan, I haven't even really had a whole episode focused on like anything to do with the pandemic, just because it, it, it's so hard to kind of know how to approach it. And so I really appreciate you being, um, the first, uh, guest I've had on to talk really, um, in depth about kind of how to ways people can cope or kind of see situations differently. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I, I enjoy anytime you and I get together and collaborate or learn together. And so I so appreciate yeah. being here. Thank you. I know I was just talking to, so I know a lot of people who are in the, in the chronic illness community have like made friendships virtually, you know, and it's yeah. the same, you know, with you, me and you or Ushma or other friends I've made in the last two years in the occupational therapy world. It's like so weird that I haven't actually met you in, in real life. I know. I know. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you. 